You're listening to Witch Wednesdays, your weekly podcast source for all things witchcraft in the modern world. Join your hosts, Steph and Tara, every Wednesday morning as they dive into a new witchy topic. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. This is Steph. And this is Tara. And you are listening to episode 32, Making Wine, Mead, and Cider. Yay! <laughs> this is an episode that Tara has been wanting to do so since excited. the beginning. She's very excited about it. So uh, excited. I actually wrote that line this time. <laughs> yes, usually, usually I do all of the outlines and just make Tara hop on and record with me and throw her thoughts in. But this time was all hers. So you're going to mostly hear from her during this uh, podcast. We are just going to start with a little bit about um, incorporating magic and witchcraft into the process. And then she is going to take you through the process of making wine, mead, and cider. Yes. Even if you do not add um, the magic component, it's really easy to make a lot of these. So I'm going to go over the simplest way and then give you some tips on how to get more advanced, but don't start the most advanced. I would like to just throw that out there. Things can explode. So, (laughs) so to get started, um, making magic, um, there's nothing wrong with making your own cider, mead, wine. There's very simple versions that you can easily make with the tools you have at hand. And then there's a lot more fancy um, tools you can get and you can make some really delicious concoctions. But there's a difference between making it with magic and just making it. There's nothing wrong with either way, but magic just uh, takes a little bit more focus, um, intent and preparation. So of course, as with everything, intent, most important. You've got to have uh, your intent and focus spot on, but to really um, make the difference, I find that preparation is pretty key when making a magical wine versus just making wine. I think that's a pretty important step. So we'll go into that a little bit. Um, So we talked about it in the bread episode, but I find that you need to set your intention before you start prepping everything. I always clean the kitchen. Um, I do like a whole cleanse generally. And then I create a magical circle, which I utilize when I start prepping everything. Um, Cleaning the jars I'm going to use and the tools I'm going to use. That's really the difference for me in making magical mead versus just making some delicious mead that I can enjoy whenever. It's really in both the intent and the preparation I go through. I'm not saying I use dirty dishes to make it if it's not magical, but I don't cast the circle. I don't spend time focusing on my intent. I don't bless the tools and the ingredients I'll be using. So making magical wine and mead and cider is a, a more involved process than just making it. But the biggest, biggest thing is the intent. Yes. So as with all uh, everything that we talked about, especially in relation to kitchen witchcraft, it really just is um, about your intent and what kind of magical outcome you're looking for when you are making your wine, meat and cider. So something fun we don't, we kind of talk about uh, at each of the Sabbath episodes, we talk about 
how like food and drink incorporates into those, like which, you know, have yes. the correspondences. Um, so before Tara gets started into how to make stuff, I just wanted to give you some fun correspondences of wine to pair with your Sabbaths. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so going around from like how we started at the beginning of the year, not necessarily the actual wheel of the year, but starting with in bulk, um, the wine pairing is Sauvignon Blanc. And the rituals are snow rituals, white magic, and healing. Ta-da! For Ostara, it's Riesling. And the rituals are uh, new beginnings and fertility. For Beltane, it's Rosé, which is love spells and attraction. Um, for Letha, it's Champagne, which is a fun one. And that kind of matches with like the, the fairy and sun magic that like we always talk about. For Llamas, it's Pinot Noir, which makes sense because... Um, and then uh, Mabon is Merlot which that's like grape season between Lamas and, <laughs> and Maybon is a uh, grape season. So that's why it's uh, Pinot Noir and Merlot, um, which is home blessings, family ties, binding. And then for um, Samhain, it is uh, Petite Syrah, which is first crying, divination, communication with spirits. Um, and delicious. <laughs> yes, and, and delicious. Um, and then for... Yule, it's actually usually cider for Yule. Yep. As opposed to um, a specific wine. So I just wanted to share those with you as like a fun way to incorporate those. Uh, some other ways that, I mean, I don't, I don't make my own wine, meat and cider like Tara's about to walk you through. I will buy it and then add my own ingredients, which is another way if you're you know, not going through the whole process. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It can yeah. be just as magical. So if you do it um, my way, a good way to add your intention or your magic spell work into that, um, you can always carve sigils into the cork or the bottle. Um, you can also just make your sigil as you're stirring it, you know, with your, mm-hmm. with your spoon. Um, you can also carve sigils onto the, your cooking utensils. If you have wooden ones it's very easy to just carve little sigils onto your stirring spoons and things which is a good way to do it and that's actually um comes from norse tradition they used to believe they would obviously make all of these things making the meat and everything um goes back thousands and thousands of years and in north mythology it was actually the stirring stick that was considered magic and passed down from generation to generation and they didn't know this at the time, but that's because the wooden stick would hold all of the yeast from each batch that they would stir. Mm-hmm. So the next batch would um, infuse more of that yeast into it, which was, they considered that magic. Now we know that it was the yeast <laughs> going from batch to batch. But that It was, could still be magic. Yes, it is still magic. So that was the stirring stick that they passed down, which is um, another fun thing to incorporate into your own practice. And... The last thing, if, if you wanted to incorporate um, any deities into this, the deity associated with all things alcohol is Dionysus, also known as mm-hmm. Bacchus in the Roman tradition, which is where Bacchanalia comes Bacchus! from. <laughs> yes. um, so he is a great deity to work with if you're interested in incorporating deities into your kitchen magic. And going back to more traditional times, um, a lot of times, this is a European in general tradition, um, 
water was unsafe to drink because people just threw their sewage into the streets and it contaminated the water and make people sick. So wine, mead, and cider became standard fare for a lot of people to drink um, because it would keep them actually healthier because they boiled the water to make these things. And so uh, if they just boiled water, we probably would not have as much wine, mead, and cider variety in our uh, world today. (laughs) But I'm glad that, you know, apparently people threw sewage out and contaminated their own water sources and then. (laughs) And that is why we drink. And that is why we drink, because people are smart. Um, So, yeah. And there's nothing wrong, even if you start making your own wine, meat, and cider, uh, it takes time for all of these things to be made. So I highly encourage, I still do this um, if my batch isn't quite ready, or I'm just feeling lazy, or there's a global pandemic, and I just am too stressed to figure it out. Um, there's nothing wrong with going and getting a commercially made thing of wine and blessing yourself. Um, I really like the sigils. Uh, A lot of times I will put it in um, under moonlight for one full cycle of the moon as a blessing. There's a lot of ways that you can incorporate magic into commercially made. So if you don't want to go through all this, all these steps to make your own, don't be afraid to just go buy a cheap bottle. (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) Yes. I like to make my own, but sometimes it does take a while. And so, yeah, sometimes it's just easier to go buy one. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Uh, There is some specialized equipment I'm going to mention. Um, As with everything, you don't necessarily need it, but it makes your life easier if you have it. (laughs) So we're going to start with wine. So, uh, you can make wine in a prison toilet. So I'm going to start with saying you don't need a lot of supplies or ingredients to make wine. To make good wine, you're going to need some things. But <laughs> if they can make wine in a prison toilet, you can make wine almost anywhere. <laughs> um, if you're going to get into making wine, especially if you're going to make mead, which is a honey wine, Uh, I'm going to suggest some specialized tools, a glass wine fermenter with a stopper and a bubble airlock. This is because as you're fermenting those sugars, which is actually creating the alcohol, it creates gases. And this is where a lot of people, when they first get started, have trouble because if those gases can't escape, they can cause explosions. So don't want that. Yeah, you really don't. I remember the first time my brother and I were trying to make mead. Um, it exploded all over our parents' basement, which wouldn't have been that big a problem, but we had hidden it in um, the utility room, <laughs> and uh, it caused problems. <laughs> so keeping that in mind, uh, be careful where when you're prepping these. However, you can use mason jars to make wine. Um, just don't seal them all the way. You just have to be able to let the gases escape. You're also not going to fill the mason jars completely. And that allows some room for the gases to be without causing the explosion. I prefer glass jars. I think plastic can sometimes leave a weird taste. Um, Also, it's just icky and not recyclable and terrible for the environment. And it's made with oil and you don't want to ingest any of that. So I suggest glass jars. Um, Mason jars are very handy and everywhere anymore. So that's why I'm going to suggest make some in mason jars. Um, 
So yeah. So if you're going to use the fermenter, uh, I'm going to go more into that in the mead, but I'm just going to give you a really simple recipe for wine right now. You just need fruit juice, yeast, and sugar. That's literally all you need. So if you want to go buy fruit juice from the grocery store, which is what I do, honestly, it's easier. It's simple. Um, you can also use fresh fruit. And if you use fresh fruit, there's actually yeast in the skin. So you can let it sit longer. Or if you want a faster developing wine, you can add some additional yeast. Uh, if you buy the commercially bottled fruit juice, all the yeast is dead because they've sterilized it for your safety, which is a good thing. But you're going to have to add more yeast into your batch in order for the sugars to ferment and to make your wine. So keep that in mind, but you can use either. Um, fruit juice, way easier. If you're using fresh fruit, uh, you're probably going to need a press and a sieve and some filters. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into ciders. But there's a lot more equipment needed. So when you're first getting started, fruit juice it is. Uh, so just keep that in mind. The more into this you get, and honestly, if you use your own fruit, uh, pulp and all that, you can make some amazing concoctions. Like, don't be afraid to experiment once you decide you like this process and you like homemade wine. But you can easily spend several thousand dollars buying equipment if you're going to go whole hog right away. And that's not how I roll. So, fruit juice. <laughs> so, what you're going to do is you're going to get the fruit juice and you will add yeast to it. There is specific winemaking yeast that you can purchase online. You can purchase at your grocery store. You can add pretty much any kind of yeast, um, but the winemaking one doesn't uh, make as much byproduct and sediment and it has fewer gases. So I recommend just splurging and getting some wine yeast if you're going to go the fruit juice route. And by splurge, I mean, it's like a couple bucks. <laughs> it's not expensive. So uh, once you get the fruit juice and the yeast in there, you add a little bit of sugar. The sugar is actually what's going to turn into alcohol. So you do want to add that. Uh, the process of the yeast eating through the sugar is what makes it alcoholic. Don't go too crazy on the sugar, but like a tablespoon or two for a gallon of juice is going to be plenty. Because you do have natural sugars in your juice. Then you're going to want to put in your mason jars, put the lids on. Like I said, don't seal them completely. <laughs> but... Um, and then you're going to want to put it and store it in a cool, dry place. And you're going to wait at least three months. And that during that process, check on it so it doesn't explode and you can see the gases bubbling in there and things. You also want to make sure that it's sitting on a towel. Sometimes the gases will force the lids open a little bit. And if you filled them too full, the liquid will come out of it. So put it on a towel that you don't care about because this wine will stain. And then uh, wait, like I said, three months. Six months would be preferable. If you can wait a full year, it's going to be delicious. I usually wait a year. So I do it um, for the Sabbath that I'm going to drink it, but a year in advance. So keep in mind, the longer you wait, the better it'll taste. I would not let your homemade wine sit for 10 years, but <laughs> at least three months you're going to need in order for it to the yeast to work its magic and Six months is preferred. I would wait at least a year. That's my advice online. <laughs> so step one. 
So next up, I'm going to talk about mead. Mead is a honey wine. So instead of adding sugar, you're using honey to start the process and the fermenting. So it's very, very similar to winemaking. However, because of the complexity of sugar, I have never been able to make it in a mason jar. I've always had to use a glass fermenter with a stopper and the bubble airlock, which I talked about a little bit earlier. So the recipe that I'm going to share, and I will post these on our website because I know it's kind of weird just me talking about how to make things, <laughs> but uh, I've never been able to do this in a mason jar. So I did go out and buy the fermenter and the airlock and everything, but I also make these things a lot and it's not expensive. You can get them on Amazon for $20, the whole setup. So keeping that in mind, it is a little bit of an expense if you want to make these, but if you're making them multiple times a year, I say go out and get them. So for me, you mix two pounds of honey, and it kind of is, but it's not a huge amount, with three quarts water and one packet mead yeast. And you stir until it's completely dissolved, um, and then you put it in your glass fermenter. You're going to cap that with the rubber stopper and the twin bubble airlock for two to three weeks at room temperature. I always store this in another cool, dry place. I actually put it in my laundry room, but it just... The gases need a place to escape, and you don't want it in the sunlight just because it can cause issues. Um, at this point, after I've got everything in the glass fermenter, if I'm making magic, um, magical mead, I've done all of that part in a, in a magical circle. So this is when I take down my circle before I'm actually storing it, but everything's in the jar and ready to work at making alcoholic beverages. Um, so after two to three weeks, you can actually see in the glass, the bubbles and everything from the yeast working its magic. So after about two to three weeks, it'll start to slow down. You won't see as many bubbles coming up. And, um, at that point you can leave it or if you want like a finer drinking experience in my mind, uh, you siphon the mead into a clean jar and you leave the sediment behind. There will be some sediment at the bottom. And so you don't need that step, but I prefer the taste if you leave the sediment out and then you let it go for another six weeks. Um, again, this is something that you're gonna wanna leave for six months to really get a good taste, but I always make it a year in advance. Same thing. <laughs> um, you can also, after six months, you can bottle it. There's so many pretty bottles out there, guys. Like, don't go too crazy, but there are some very pretty bottles <laughs> for bottling your meat and wine. Um, I also always put a blessing on the bottles before I bottle it. And then I put a sigil on each one for what it's for and what um, that incorporates what spell work I'm working with that. So something to keep in mind, plus pretty. <laughs> As we know, I'm very uh, aesthetically driven. <laughs> So for cider, there's two types of cider. There's hard cider, which is the alcoholic version, and there's soft cider, which is non-alcoholic. I'm going to talk about a recipe for soft cider because you can do that very quickly day of. You don't have to wait a long time because you don't need the alcohol. Hard cider, you're going to want to make it ahead quite a bit and let it sit. Same with the meat and wine because you want that fermentation process to give you the alcohol keep that in mind. So again, cider, um, there's a lot of stuff that you can buy to make cider. 
if you're going to spend the thousands of dollars to get yourself a press and to get yourself a, a correct storage and the fermenter and this, you can spend a lot of money very quickly. Um, I know a couple people that actually invested in a press for their fruit, but they went in like five couples. And so it wasn't crazy, but presses can be very large. If you get a traditional style press, they work wonderfully. Or you can make some home uh, made ones. There's a ton of ideas online. My favorite was one guy that just had his two-year-old and his three-year-old run across some plywood that he had put the fruit under at an angle, like just run up and down and up and down. And that matched the fruit, pressed it, was great. Seemed really messy though and all of that. <laughs> also, if you get a traditional press, they're large. So keep in mind that you're going to have to store it. And if you're only making cider a couple times a year, it takes up a lot of space. <laughs> you can use apples and pears and pretty much any sweet fruit you can make into um, cider. Remember, if you're going to make hard cider, the sugars in the fruit are what's going to translate into the alcohol. So the sweeter, the better, which is why you're really going to want to use ripe fruit. Um, Yuletide cider is very traditional because you've picked the fruit um, three months earlier. And if you make it into cider right away, it technically is ready at Yule. Again, I would wait longer, <laughs> make it a year in advance. But that's why Yuletide cider is so traditional is because that's how, based on when you picked your fruit and pressed your fruit and everything, that's when it's ready. So not going into hard ciders because I've kind of gone through the fermentation process on the other two. Here's a lovely soft cider recipe. Use a crock pot. Super easy. <laughs> so easy. Get some sweet and tart apples, some orange. I like a cinnamon stick and some cloves and a little bit of sugar. Place everything in the slow cooker, crock pot. Crock pot is a specific brand, but whatever slow cooker you want. Um, I suggest going kind of light on the sugar until you let it sit for a while, just because you don't know how sweet you're going to want it. And I like a less sweet cider where some people like it to hurt their teeth. So um, you're going to add water just enough to cover the fruit. So this recipe really, um, it's very easy to add more or less. So if you're for a big group, add more fruit. Uh, you'll have more corresponding water. If you're making it for yourself, add just a couple apples and just a little water. Um, so you're going to place everything in there and cook on low for six to seven hours or high for three hours. Doesn't matter. This is a very forgiving recipe. Do what feels right. It's going to smell amazing. Just a heads up. At the end of that six hours or three hours, depending on if it's high or low, you're going to mash the fruit. You can use a big old spoon for this. Um, I have a specific masher that I use. It was originally intended for meat. This is what I consider one of my ritual tools because I use it specifically to make cider for Yule. Um, anyway, so you're going to want to mash everything up till it's all mashed and good and there's no like big chunks floating anywhere. Then you're going to want to simmer for another hour just to make sure everything's nice and blended. And then you're going to strain and you have fresh cider and it's delicious. I highly recommend this recipe. <laughs> it's a soft cider, but it's worth it. <laughs> uh, like I said, hard cider, you're going to have to wait a lot longer because it's going to have to ferment and you're going to have to wait for the gases to escape and it sits there. So yeah, 
uh, I wrote like two pages on how to make all this stuff. And this is why Steph does not put me in charge of outlines. And there's a lot of information here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like Tara said, she is going to put all this up on our website, yes. which is which Wednesdays.com. So you can refer back to that to get all of the recipes and ingredients in case you are interested in making any of these for yourself. And don't be afraid to always start simple. Like I said, I, when I make my own wine, I'm not going to go into all the little technical things to make it the highest grade wine ever. I use fruit juice. It's completely acceptable (laughs) and it's a delicious wine. And hopefully when we, um, by we I mean I get my act together and post more YouTube videos Um, I usually make cider um, I would say pretty much every Sabbath in the dark half of the year (laughs) so um, Mabon, Stawen and Yule I pretty much make cider for Mabon I also make cider for but Yule I always have cider yeah I do like (laughs) right I do a way more um, cheater route than Tara does. And I just use like lots of, you know, store-bought ingredients. (laughs) So, you know, it's technically not as much like making it, but um, hopefully I can make it during um, some sort of YouTube video and just show you how I kind of incorporate magic into it, even though I'm using store-bought ingredients. Hopefully we'll have that for you. Yeah. Sometime. Uh, (laughs) I make no promises on dates here. Things have happened and it's hard to get back into focus, but I particularly like the crock pot method just because when you're doing other Yule preparations, your whole house just smells amazing. Like it just yeah, makes me I agree. feel <laughs> like Yule has arrived once that simmering smell hits the air. Yeah. Agreed. So that's one of the reasons why I recommend a crock pot because it's amazing. But that is all we have for you today. So don't forget to check out the website if you are interested in learning about this further. And we will see you next week. Bye. Follow us on Insta. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to Witch Wednesdays with Steph and Tara. Love our content? Consider donating at anchor.fm slash witch-wednesdays to help keep our podcast up and running. Please leave us a voicemail on that same site if you have any questions or comments, and follow us on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast.